Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Good morning, everybody. So good to be back with you all this morning. Happy to be here. Um, So speaking of generosity, this week marks a rare time in the American calendar. Can anyone guess what that is? That's right. You're so smart. Thanksgiving. It's one of the rare parts of our calendar where we take a shift, right? And begin to focus on what we're thankful for. Uh, Thanksgiving is next week. If you didn't know that, well, I guess it's this week, it's Sunday, right? I forget that. But if you didn't know that, now you know. Uh, it happens to be my favorite holiday simply because I love food, like most humans. Um, but I have fond memories of my mom cooking and then me joining along. So I get to cook every year and I, I love to cook. So it's a fun time for me. Um, but uh, America is not usually taught to be thankful, right? We usually focus on some other things. Some of those things are consumerism and desire and the will for power and more products and more stuff. So it's a nice break that we get to focus on things that we have and that we're thankful for. So we're going to focus a little bit on Thanksgiving this morning, uh, but this week we land back with a prophet in the book of Jeremiah. I think last week we were in Isaiah, so we we're drawing a lot of comparisons this week without how our world is unraveling. So if you'll join me this morning, if you have a Bible with you, um, we're going to be in Jeremiah 36 and we're kind of going to hop around here and there. But before we get into it, um, let's pray. God, I thank you this morning that we get to join together in family and community on this platform of Zoom. Um, So cool that during a pandemic that we at least have that ability to be with one another. I pray for those who are affected right now, economically, physically, mentally, spiritually. May you be with them. May we as the church be with them and find creative ways and outlets to participate in the work that you're doing in this world. I pray this morning that you'd speak through your word and really move and convict us towards being the church, more just, more loving, and more humble and compassionate body of people that makes a kingdom impact on everyday life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So this is Jeremiah 36, starting in verse 1. It says this, in the fourth year of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, This word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I've spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the day of Josiah until today. It may be that when the house of Judah hears all the disasters that I intend to do to them, all of them may turn from their evil ways so that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called on Barach, son of Neriah, and Barach wrote on a scroll at Jeremiah's dictation all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Barach, saying, I am preventing or prevented from entering the house of the Lord. So you go yourself, and on a fast day in the hearing of the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the people of Judah who come up from their towns. It may be that their plea will come before the Lord and that all of them will turn from their evil ways 
for great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against this people. And Barach, son of Neriah, did all that the prophet Jeremiah ordered him about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. And we're going to jump to verse 21 through 23 here. And it says this, then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll and he took it from the chamber of Elishama, the secretary, and Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood before the king. Now the king was sitting in his winter apartment and it was the ninth month, I think that's December, and there was a fire burning in the fireplace, the furnace before him. And Jehudi read three or four columns. The king would then cut them off with a pencil knife and then he would throw them into the fire and he would watch them burn. And he burnt the entire scroll until it was consumed in fire that was in the fireplace. Hopefully that doesn't light my place on fire. And then jumping finally to verse 27, it says, now after the king had burnt the scroll with the words that Barach wrote of Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which King Jehoiakim of Judah has burned. Right, this is the word of the Lord. So this week, Again, we enter into one of the few periods of the North American yearly calendar when we practice open expressions of Thanksgiving. And in the lectionary calendar, we find ourselves here, fast forward from last week's passage of Isaiah 6 that Jennifer shared, I believe, during the late 8th century BCE to the reign of Jehoiakim during the early 6th century. Many of the fears of the 8th century have now befallen on Judah. Though partially delayed in time and executed through the Babylonians and not the Assyrians, once again, God addresses the crisis through a prophet, Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is commanded to write the words onto a scroll to preserve these texts for future generations to look back at the calamity as a type of motivation to their repentance and then eventually divine forgiveness. So obediently, Jeremiah calls on the scribe, Barach, to record the words of the Lord. Something I think is interesting, but doesn't really matter too much to the spiritual component of the text, is that this passage models this major transition of revelation. Archaeological evidence suggests that ancient Judah is witnessing a growing literacy here. So it's natural that God would utilize new forms of communication. Whereas two centuries earlier in Isaiah 6, an angelic being touches the lips of Isaiah with a hot coal. Now the command is to write the prophetic word using writing. One can consider the differences between the preservation of national narratives through oral tradition versus written practices. And that's what we're seeing in this text, which I think is pretty cool. Jeremiah understands that these very words can have value beyond the present generation, that it's not just for here and now, but that he can, we can bring these words into the future. And because of Jeremiah's banishment from the temple, he sends Barach to read the words of the scroll during the midst of a fasting ceremony. And to understand this more, we need, we need to know that both the space, the temple, and the time, the fasting ceremony, 
have these redemptive qualities for the reading of the word of the Lord. And when the scroll is read to the court, this, this time by Jehudi, Shakir, I'm not going to say it, uh, the response to the, the word of God is telling, right? The king is perhaps too consumed with his own luxuries to understand the precariousness of the situation. We don't know what that's like today, right? We have no such kings that we can relate to, right? Nothing like that. Anyways, so Jeremiah 36, 22 expresses this particular biting indictment of, of those of us who enjoy privilege. It reveals that. Now that the king it was sitting in his winter apartment, December, and there was a fire burning in the fireplace before him. He's enjoying these luxuries that everyday people don't enjoy. So for us, if we enjoy positions of power in regards to our gender, in regards to our ethnicity, in regards to our class or marital stat status or whatever it may be, economic status, we must take care that such privilege doesn't become overshadowing, doesn't block our ability to listen to the word of the Lord, to follow the heed, the call to care for the poor and for the powerless. King Jehoiakim's response, though deplorable, is not surprising in that the destruction of the prophetic words is natural for a ruler who is both paranoid and massively self-absorbed. Again, hard to relate here with a king like that, right? This is one of the earliest recorded narratives of book burning to suppress ideology. But as in most cases, this book burning is not a terrible, effective strategy for ideological control. Instead, eliminating the word of God, Jeremiah in 30, chapter 36, shows that it is more powerful and lasting than actions of a narcissistic king. The words of Jeremiah continue to find power two millennia later. King Jehoiakim is merely a footnote as a disobedient king. But this, the destruction is not total. Before the fall, Jeremiah has prophesied about a new covenant that's coming forward. In Jeremiah 31, it's part of a book of consolation. It's mostly a book of consolation as named by uh, most biblical scholars because thematically it's building on hope rather than condemnation that characterizes much of the book of Jeremiah. So in the midst of the Babylonian takeover of Zion, Jeremiah's consolation culminates in a new covenant with certain following characteristics. And this is what the new covenant is that Jeremiah is revealing to the people of Israel. The new covenant is inclusive, not divisive. It includes, it includes both Northern and Southern kingdoms. And this is a remarkable break from the tension and outright animosity between these two kingdoms, which continued throughout the life of Christ. The participants explicitly include least to the greatest. So we, as the people of this new covenant, as the way of Jesus, are called to be inclusive, not divisive. No matter the situation, no matter the person, the group, the ideology, we are called to be radically inclusive and radically 
revealing of God's love, because that's what's revealed in the kingdom of God. And we participate in that kingdom. And this is part of God's covenant that Jeremiah is revealing to these people that continues throughout the life of Jesus to today. Secondly, the new covenant that Jeremiah reveals is lawful and not lawless. Jeremiah 31, 33 goes over this. It says the new covenant will build on Torah law or instructions or guidelines of God. Now the people have new strategies for staying faithful to God pursuant to Jeremiah 36 episode. It will, it will center on written word. It is better to think of a Torah in the sense of God's teaching rather than new Testament construct of Torah as legalism. Torah was an expression of how the community would maintain, maintain covenantal fidelity. So we too are called today to be loyal to the way of Jesus and loyal to one another and loyal to the mandate to care and love for this world. Thirdly, Jeremiah's covenant that's revealed through Jeremiah from God is divine and not human, right? Whereas the older covenant was broken by the people God preempts this possibility by making himself the primary person, the primary agent of this new covenant. Note the first person emphasis. It says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write on their hearts and I will be their God. I love this point because it means no matter how far we wander, no matter what we done, we've done, how deceptive we get, how destructive we are. And if you, if you just turn on the news and look, look, look at the news, you know, or look out the window, it gets pretty crazy out there, right? In this world, but God's divine love is always moving in first. God's initiative takes the initiative. The covenant is, is given to us first. Even when, as the text says, these people are making the wrong moves over and over again. They're oppressing the poor. They're not taking care of the widow, the orphan. They continue to fail. But God continues to move first and initiates this covenant with us to better express that there is a better way of moving in this world. And he's going to show that as a loving father by moving in first and revealing that love goes first so that we maybe we'll open our eyes and our ears and begin to listen and receive that love so we can then go out and give it away. Fourthly, the covenant that Jeremiah speaks of is relational and not distant. The earlier covenant was intimate in that it involved a God who takes us by the hand. And this metaphor is a metaphor of marriage. The new covenant incorporates these features and that they will fully know the Lord in both intellectual acknowledgments, but also inclusive in intimate ideals that they will know the Lord and be known by him. Most significantly, though, the covenant is indeed new. The cloud of sin no longer hangs above this community. For God declares, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. With the freedom from sin, the people can now move forward in their relationship with God, and then out into the world and make lasting impact. So this new covenant is much more protective. It's much more lasting. And in the midst of the Babylonian suffering, it enables the faithful to be grateful to God. Although politically oppressed with little economic hope and unknown future, the covenant of God brings rise to thanksgiving to all. 
And this is very beautiful and nice, but I think also that this text brings up so much more. For instance, one of the questions for me that I asked when I was reading this throughout the week is, who are the modern day prophets? Who are the ones that are speaking the word of the Lord? Is it the pastors? Is it the politics? Is it the rich and the powerful who seem to have figured life out? I think not. In a world of consumerism and militarism, who is, who is speaking the truth of God? Well, for me, for me, what I see is that it's the poor. It is the powerless, the voiceless, and the weak, ironically, that are prophesying about justice and truth and love and compassion and, and, and equality or lack of inequality in this world. So today we're in a pandemic, right? And it's bad. Yes, very bad, especially if you've lost loved ones. It's horrible. But look at us. You and me, we're not suffering. Most of us, if not all of us, are pretty wealthy, maybe beyond wealthy compared to a large majority of the world who is also in this pandemic. And they, the poor, the powerless, the oppressed, the marginalized, they are revealing to us a crack or cracks in a broken system. A narcissistic, a narcissistic king who refuses to listen to the prophet is not far from home, right? So my family owns a wedding venue. Yes, I'm pretty privileged. But oftentimes homeless people sleep at the venue outside at night. And some of them are nice people, some are not. The other night, my wife, Amy, who runs the venue, went there alone to get some work done and was verbally and then sexually assaulted, verbally, not physically, by a homeless man. And it scared her and upset her. And that's a normal response. That's a natural response, right? But oftentimes, I think we're fast to blame the poor and the homeless man in situations like that, Right? We think, even though we dare not say it out loud, that they're sick, that they're deranged, that, that, that they're dangerous, and we need to do something about that when situations happen to us like that. However, they're prophets because they, they speak or they reveal a break in our system. They reveal a flaw in our society. They reveal the, the word of God to us. And we, as Christ followers, are called to be listeners or people with eyes wide open to these, brack, these breaks, these, these cracks. They reveal the cracks in a system. And we are called to be the solution or at least fight for the solution. Now, I want to end with this. And this is our reflection question that I'll leave you with today. What is the word of our modern day prophets saying to us about the systems in which we participate? And are we listening? Are our eyes open? Or are we sitting in our winter apartments and choosing to burn the scroll? Because as the people of God, we are called to the poor and we are called to give up our power for the sake of the vulnerable. And that truly is our only hope. And only there 
will we truly find real and lasting thanksgiving. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for the words of Jeremiah that have lasted to today. All the prophets that reveal that you are first a God of covenantal hope that moves first with your compassion and love and hope that we will catch that love and move forward into the world with it and participate in the work of love and compassion as your kingdom advances and moves throughout this world. God, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Maybe be good listeners to the prophets, to the poor that reveal cracks in the system. And may we have the courage and the tenacity to move and help fix those cracks. May we lay down our privilege so that we can lift up those who are oppressed and hurting and suffering. May it start first with your love so that we can truly love in this world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.